Rock, Pop, and Roll. This week on Rock, Pop, and Roll, our show is three underrated, under-the-radar rock bands that never hit the top 40. And I think you're going to know all three if you listen to rock radio back in the 1980s. How you doing? Rob Nichols with you. The first is a band from the United Kingdom that had millions of fans, including U2, but had very little American success and had one sort of hit. The second's a legendary, maybe the most successful Australian rocker ever who could not break through in the United States. It was sad that he couldn't because uh, there was a lot of bands not as good as he was that were, that were making it. The third was an influential country punk band that had some big names pushing them through their uh, little two-record life. They disintegrated after two records, but their influence, it's still there. Welcome to Rock, Pop, and Roll podcast episode number 12. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob. We talk rock and roll and pop music from the playlist of the decade of the 1980s, directly from the heartland of America, coming to you live on tape, digitally, from Indiana. Three artists or bands. None of their songs hit the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, but they were played in the U.S. Each artist, to some degree, each of these uh, bands or artists had a hit on album rock stations of the 1980s, those stations that morphed into the classic rock stations of today that play today, for the most part, a homogenous playlist that varies little from year to year to year. Very few artists uh, or songs get added or left off on most of on 90% of these classic rock stations. There's always, there's always stations that are... Uh, Better than that, but a a lot of classic rock stations are boring because of this. But back in the decade of the 80s, those stations played new music. The heritage artists like Clapton, Petty, Mel and Camp, to name just three, had their new songs played on there. Uh, Aerosmith, ACDC, Journey, that's, you know, three more. New artists of the time had their music broke there. For the first time, you heard U2 or NXS or Bon Jovi or Loverboy or Night Ranger on those rock stations. Not now, but then. And if you were listening to rock radio in the 80s, that's how you remember some of of these songs on today's podcast, depending on where you got your radio, what you were listening to. You probably heard these bands, but you didn't hear them on the top 40 stations. Underrated, under-the-radar bands that were popular but didn't hit the top 40. That's our episode today on Rock, Pop, and Roll. And let's let it roll with the first band, punk band, originally, that was formed in Wales, part of the United Kingdom, a band called The Alarm. In 1981, they were, they were playing in London in the West End, starting to get a little notoriety, a little quick history on the band. They had a meeting between themselves and U2's agent at the time, Ian Wilson. He uh, saw a couple of shows, was impressed, and became their manager. The Alarm ended up playing with U2 at the Lyceum Ballroom in December of 1981, and by 1982, the band was beginning to record some demos for record labels, didn't have much success. And at that point, they were still playing as uh, a band with three acoustic guitarists, which uh, I... I didn't really realize that, but I went and listened to their older stuff as we were putting this together today. And they did. They had three acoustic guitars playing. Uh, They were in London, just gigging, uh, building up a following. And by December of 82, they had started to play with U2. They played four shows with U2 in December of 
1982, Bono joined them on stage. June of 83, The Alarm went on their first tour of the United States. They played 18 shows in support of U2 when U2 was uh, touring behind the War album. The Alarm's biggest, highest charting single in Britain would end up becoming uh, 68 Guns, their first single over there in 1983. Number 17 on the uh, UK singles chart was off the 1984 album Declaration, Uh, but that song didn't do anything in the United States other than uh, get played on MTV. They did have, the band ended up having 20 songs in their career in the UK top 100. Most of those landed in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, but that was their first little taste of success. Uh, the they followed that up with a single called The Stand, which was released. They were on the IRS record label. They ended up on American Bandstand with The Stand. It, it went to only number 86 in the UK, did nothing in the United States. But it got them a supporting gig with the police, and the police were hot back in 1983. And uh, they went on tour with them. Then November of 84, about a year later, they started playing some new material for Jimmy Iovine, producer Jimmy Iovine, who... He agreed to come to UK to the UK in January of 85 to work on the follow-up to Declaration, but that never happened. They ended up being produced by a guy named Mike Howlett, who produced Berlin, Flock of Seagulls, Thompson Twins, and he produced an album called Strength, which was released in October of 1985 and got them into the top 40 of the U.S. Billboard 200 album chart for the first time. The title song, a pre Joshua Tree U2 sound alike only hit number 61 on the Hot 100 but it did get to number 12 on the uh, rock radio charts the title song Strength
that was the rap on them. Is they uh, they sounded a little too much like U2 for some folks, uh, but that didn't make them bad, did it? I don't think so. The alarm and and that title cut did a little bit in the U.S. In 1987, their third album was called Eye of the Hurricane, and it landed them a, a, a tour slot with uh, with Bob Dylan. But it helped them gain some rock radio play in America with a, with a single that. It only hit number 71 on the Hot 100, but it was a big rock radio song. Probably uh, uh, you remember it either from there or from MTV. It's called Rain in the Summertime. By 1989, they'd hooked up with uh, Tony Visconti, who was best known as a longtime producer of David Bowie records, and he he got them the, their uh, biggest hit, their biggest rock radio hit in the United States. Had a little rebel, rebel slashing guitar, some Stonesy hoo hoos. It went to number two on the rock radio chart. It was a song called "Sold Me Down the River." was their only top 50 uh, hit on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, uh, but it was a big rock radio song. Uh, 1991 was their last album. It was called Raw. Just before that, though, they had one last grasp at, at having some kind of rock radio hit, 
didn't get any top 40 airplay, but I want to give you a taste of this last thing that, that did make it to the top 10 on rock radio. Uh, you know, a criminally underrated band that I like, The Alarm. Stones Like Rocker, that was called uh, Devolution Working Man's Blues. I love that ACDC grind and groove. Kind of a sucker for that guitar groove that they that they put out there, and you're going to hear me talk about it for the next two bands. So we're doing three three bands that are criminally underrated, didn't hit the top forty, but were played on rock radio, and that's why we were listening to rock radio in the '80s. That's why I was, is because you could hear stuff. It was good. Didn't make the top forty, but man, it was it was it was rock and roll, rock and roll. Talking, 1981's Raw was their last, their fifth studio album, their last studio album with the original lineup. Uh, the band split up not long after it was released. Mike Peters, who's the lead singer, uh, and in 2005, he discovered that he was suffering from leukemia. He did overcome it. He still tours as The Alarm with new members. They had a live streaming webcast during the spring of 2020, and he's released 12 albums in the 2000s as, as The Alarm. Unlike you 2 though, they weren't liked by the press critics in Britain. Not supportive, but their fans were. They sold more than 5 million albums worldwide. That's The Alarm. No top 40 hits in the United States. Our second artist we're going to take a look at today on the Rock, Pop, and Roll podcast, Australia's most successful rock singer. Yeah, Keith Urban's from there, but he made it big here. Uh, we looked at Rick Springfield last week, but Rick's not, or last podcast, but he's not the most popular. Jimmy Barnes is Australia's most successful rock singer. He had more top 40 albums, more number one albums in Australia than anyone. If you haven't heard Barnes or heard of Jimmy Barnes, he's he's kind of a... Amalgamation of Bob Seger, Bon Jovi, Michael Bolton, some Springsteen. First made it big with a band called Cold Chisel, an Australian pub rock band 
formed in 1973. They disbanded in 1983, but they've reformed several times since then. By 1980, Cold Chisel was the biggest band in Australia, and Jimmy Barnes was a hard-drinking frontman for that band. He decided to launch a solo career, so in, in, this was 1984, January of 84, he signed with Geffen Records. He released an album, not in the U.S., uh, but in Australia called Body Swerve, his first solo record, and his second album was his shot to break into the U.S. It was called, in Australia, it was called For the Working Class Man, and it featured seven remixed songs from that Body Swerve album, plus five new tracks, including the title cut that was written by Journey keyboardist Jonathan Kane. Kane, Charlie Sexton, Kim Carnes, they all guested on the album. Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac played on the album. And that album was titled in the U.S. It was simply titled Jimmy Barnes. The title cut became his signature song, Though it only found its way to number 74 on the Hot 100, it was a middling rock radio hit. Went up to number 22. It's called Working Class Man. And if you listen to rock radio in the 80s, it's going to sound familiar. comparison now can't you it's just a, it's so sad that bands like Giafria or zebra or you know asia could all have hits in in the u.s and jimmy barnes couldn't but uh, he kept trying uh riding the night away was a song that he tried with off that same album that uh, it was co-written with Stevie Van Zandt from the E Street Band. It made no dent on any chart, but should have been played on radio stations at the time. You know, John Cafferty had a hit. Why couldn't Barnes get a hit on a rock radio station? I know you.
Michael Stanley Band had hits, right? That's right, The Night Away didn't do anything on any chart in the U.S., but uh, that's one that Stephen Van Zandt went on tour with his band called The Disciples of Soul last year, and and he still pulls that one out. Uh, And Jimmy Barnes actually re-recorded that song uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, Stephen Van Zandt went down to Australia when he was on tour with Springsteen, and they got together and recut it and remixed it. Um, 1986, we started to hear something from Jimmy Barnes uh, again. He teamed up with NXS for a Lost Boys movie soundtrack song, and it was his first real American success. This song went to number two overall on the top 40 charts in Australia, went to number one in New Zealand, it failed to hit the U.S. Top 40, only made it up to number 47, but was a number three U.S. rock radio song. It was a song called Good Times, which was originally done by a, an Australian band called the Easy Beats, who you might remember from a song called Friday on My Mind. It was released in 1968. The Easy Beats had George Young as a, a guitar player in that band. George Young was the older brother of Angus and Malcolm Young, from ACDC. See how we tie all this together. Uh, good times from NXS and Jimmy Barnes. It wasn't a big hit, and that's a crime. It was a crime because it was that NXS sound that was going to blow up big in 1987. Everybody shame. too raw for top 40 but that's that in excess sound that would make them superstars that's good times jimmy had nine australian number one studio albums a lot of hit singles his uh 
his song Too Much Ain't Enough Love peaked at number one in Australia from the 1987 album Freight Train Heart. It was his first Australian number one hit single in the U.S. It was issued the following year, peaked only at number 91 on the uh, on the Hot 100 charts. Rock radio embraced it, though. Not my favorite tune, but it was it was big on rock radio. Journey's Neil Sean was the dude playing the guitar solos. even really a power ballad right more like a like a john wait missing you vibe but you had neil playing guitar and journey was big Now, the last time that Jimmy Barnes would make any U.S. chart would be 1987, when he made it up to uh, number 38 on the uh, on the rock radio charts with a bluesy, seeker-sounding Heartland rocker called Driving Wheels. Jennings on the radio, he sings. And Jimmy Barnes works with producer Don Gammon a half a dozen times. Live, he's got a lot in common with the Brian Johnson-led ACDC, doesn't he? He's got that growl, he's got the whiskey, got the shouting, he's got the rock and roll. The combination of 14 Australian Top 40 albums for Cold Chisel, 13 solo. He had 17 overall number one albums between the two. The highest number of hit albums of any Australian or international artist in the Australian market, there's an obvious Mellencamp Springsteen sound there, right? And the influence 
it, it's there. Don Gammon has some of that connection to Mellencamp and solidifies that. And even though Barnes says he never was a fan of Springsteen or had never, or he was a fan of Springsteen but had never seen Bruce perform until 2014 when Bruce and the band came to Australia and New Zealand in 2014, uh, he finally got a chance to see the shows, got on stage with them and sang uh, a Springsteen song called Tougher Than the Rest, which he would later cut for his own album. Bruce Springsteen's one of the one of the best, you know, um, you know, live performers I've ever seen. I mean, I, I remember about five years ago, um, my friend Michael Gadinsky brought Bruce out to Australia. I'd never seen Bruce live. And, I, and it's one of those things where everybody kept telling me, oh, you've got to see Bruce. And I'm going, yeah, 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 I know, I know. He does three hours. Yeah, 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 I know he's great and he's got an energy and all that. Suddenly, I was there, side of stage, and I was watching Bruce and... He was, it was actually more than anybody had ever told me. They didn't warn me how good he really was because you know, he was incredible. And then at the end of the show, Bruce, Bruce says, oh, do you want to get up and sing? Uh, so I thought, oh, this will be good. And he said, he said um, I said, sure. He said, do you, do you know my, any of my songs? I said, I know, know lots of your songs. <laughs> he said, what do you want to sing? And I said, I said, tougher than the rest. And I could see it was, he thought it was an unusual choice. And he said, do you know it? I said, yeah, you know, I do, yeah. What Bruce didn't know was during during my wildest days, when I thought I was you know falling apart, and uh, I, I would sing tougher than the rest to, to myself, just to try and try to fool myself into thinking I could stand up and take anything when I couldn't. It's really a great version of Tougher Than the Rest from Jimmy Barnes. Look for that one off one of his more recent albums. Barnes was inducted into the Australian Recording Industry Hall of Fame in 2005 for his solo career. Cold Chisel was inducted back in 1993, so he's in there twice, but never had an American top 40 hit our third band on rock pop and roll underrated criminally underrated bands that never hit the top 40 in america this band had a had its chance punk country had the right people helping them out but for, uh, for some reason lone justice never made it lead singer maria mckee who's a fireball live had singing chops the music was written and produced by big rock and roll artists but the roots rock pop country sound it never found its niche for them to hit it big and they were formed in L.A. back in the 80s. They were playing clubs like the Palomino Club. They were in a subgenre that is kind of called cowpunk. It's echoes of punk rock with some twang. Some of the bands that were associated with that were like the Long Riders, the Blasters, Beat Farmers, Rank and File, Jason and the Scorchers, music that was played hard and twangy and rocky. Lone Justice had a fan in Linda Ronstadt. She pushed for them to get signed to Geffen Records. Their self-titled debut came out in 1985. They toured with, there's that band again, U2. And, and uh, they were produced by Jimmy Iovine, another name we've already talked about. Had good critical reviews, had the help of some monster songwriters. The first single that they released was written by Little Steven and Tom Petty keyboardist Ben Montench, who was a frequent player at their live shows. 
but it only hit number 73 in the Hot 100, but it was a great song. Uh, their first single was called Sweet, Sweet Baby, I'm Fallen." Jimmy Iovine, he he was the he was the dude who produced uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, uh, Damn the Torpedoes. So he quite a resume. Worked on Springsteen's albums all the way back to Darkness on the Edge of Town. So he was working with Lone Justice, and, and the band had some songs that ended up being hits for others. Uh, Don't Toss Us Away was on that debut record that it ended up being a top five country hit for Patty Loveless. There was a song called After the Flood, which is a Springsteenian petty mid tempo song that's worth a listen. Go back and find that on that album. You Are the Lights, rock and roll gospel music. But it was the second single written by Tom Petty and his guitarist, uh, Mike Campbell, that climbed to number 29 on the rock charts. Only number 71 in the Hot 100, but was uh, the best that we had heard up to that point. It was called Ways to be Wicked. That first album made it to number 62 on the Billboard 200 album chart and actually charted on the country album chart, went up to number 56. After that record, uh, they lost bassist and their drummer. They left the band, and so McKee and guitarist Ryan Hedgecock assembled an all-new band, which included a guy named Shane Fontaine, who would later join Springsteen's 1992-93 band that toured with Springsteen after he broke up with the E Street Band. So the second album was called Shelter. It was produced again by Iveen, uh, the band, and E Street guitarist Stevie Van Zandt also produced uh, that. When he wrote both of the singles that ended up being released, Shelter, though, the album was a straight-up 80s kind of a production grab. They were trying to get a hit. Commercially, the song, or the commercially, the album charted lower 
than the first album and only reached number 65 on the album charts. But the title single did a little bit better. Went to number 26 on the rock singles chart, so rock radio embraced it a little bit. Number 47 on the Hot 100. Here's a taste of that first single, Shelter. tempo thing that could tune but it didn't break them big this is rock pop and roll the podcast three bands that are criminally underrated and this is the third of those three lone justice the cow punk band out of los angeles they had another a second single from that album that it didn't do anything on the charts but it did what it did do is get some mtv airplay uh the video was a mind-blowing live performance of the song from, from 1985. Check it out on YouTube. I found love. Lone Justice, Maria McKee, driving that band hard. end up having her best success as a as a solo singer she had a song called show me heaven a power ballad that she wrote uh, for the days of thunder uh, movie the tom cruise movie back in june of 1990 produced by peter asher who did a lot of linda Gra- uh, linda ronstadt's great stuff that song went to number one in the uk for four weeks became the sixth highest selling single of 1990 in the uk she also had a lot of success as a background singer, worked with U2. Uh, she uh, was on the Counting Crows debut record, August and Everything After, sang on that, including Mr. Jones, that song. She sang back up for Robbie Robertson's debut, the guy from the band, on his self-titled solo album on a track called American Roulette. Lone Justice. They were a country gospel band, really. They played it hot. They were fast. 
with an eye on punk. They rocked. They were killing it live before the record deals happened. Petty, Van Zant, the rest were behind them. The sound of those records, it was essentially smoothed out versions of their intensity. And they were one of those bands that shoulda, coulda made it. McKee, great country rock vocalist. Watch those old videos. Go back and do that. She's an in-the-moment performer, kind of like Michael Hutchins of NXS had a rock sultriness to her. And why weren't they long for the music world? Maybe the same reason that Uncle Tupelo and Whiskey Town and bands like X never made it big in their time. They all became legendary after the country rock and roll fires had burned down, recognized for their spirit and influence after their taillights had faded into the distance. And that's our podcast for today, almost. Rock, pop, and roll. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at 80s Rock Pop Roll. Email us at rockpoprollpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we're going to end with one last fact. She sang back up on a lot of stuff, including this one from uh we're a big fan of 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 steve earl she co-wrote the duet for the 1990 album the hard way this was the album that he recorded the last album he recorded before before he went to prison is a song called promise you anything and we're gonna head on out with a listen to this thanks for listening i'm rob be good to each other Rock, pop, and roll, leaving you with Maria McKee harmonizing with Steve Earle.